Now turn with me tonight to the book of Job. If you go to the middle of your Bible, if you find the book of Psalms, then just work your way back. It's just the book before the book of Psalms. The book of Job, and we're going to read from chapter 39. And we're reading from the verse 19. Job chapter 39. I'm going to read from verse 19. Job is God's tried and afflicted servant. God is asking him a series of questions. Some of these questions had to do with animals. And we're breaking into the chapter at verse 19. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Hast thou given the horse strength? Hast thou clothed his neck with thunder? Canst thou make him afraid as a grasshopper? The glory of his nostrils is terrible. He paweth in the valley and rejoices in his strength. He goeth on to meet the armed men. He mocketh at fear and is not affrighted. Neither turneth he back from the sword. The quiver rattleth against him. The glittering spear and the shield, he swalloweth the ground with fierceness and rage. Neither believeth he that it is the sound of the trumpet. He saith amongst the trumpets, Ha, ha. And he smelleth the battle afar off, the thunder of the captains, and the shouting. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 25. And we pray the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now, my text this evening is taken from Job chapter 39, verses 19 to 25 that I've read in your hearing. And my theme this evening is learning from the war horse. See, in Job 38 and 39, the Lord himself is questioning his tried and afflicted servant Job. And in these questions, he refers to many aspects of his creation, including a number of very prominent and significant Bible animals. And of course, each one of these animals in themselves illustrates something of the Lord's glory, the Lord's greatness, the Lord's wisdom and power, and so on. And in addressing Job, it is the Lord who chooses the subject matter. It's the Lord who gives Job a sort of a, a science lesson. Look at chapter 39, verse 19. Hast thou given the horse strength? Hast thou clothed his neck with thunder? Here he's referring to the war horse. Job 39, verses 19 to 25, is all about the war horse. Now there's a hundred and... 88 references to the word horses in the Bible. The first reference, Genesis 47, 17, is where the children of Israel were given bread and provision for exchange of horses by Pharaoh. These, of course, were war horses, and they were going to be used in the Pharaoh's army and the pulling of his chariots. The last reference to horses in the Bible is Revelation 19, verses 11 to 21. And again, it's a reference to the war horse. 
And we're told that the Lord Jesus is going to return from heaven on a white horse to set up his earthly kingdom on this earth. In Psalm 27, we read, Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord. It's God says in Psalm 33, verse 17, The horse is a vain thing for safety. Now, in 2011, Hollywood produced a film, an American war film called The War Horse. It was directed and co-produced by Steven Spielberg. It's based on a man called Michael Moore Purgo's novel in 1982 with the same title, The War Horse. Now, the film is set before and during World War I, and it tells the story of Joey, a bay thoroughbred horse that was born in Devon in England. The horse was bought by a father of a young boy called Albert Irvine, and that boy and that horse formed a very deep attachment. The boy taught the horse to come when he initiated or imitated an owl's call. And against all the odds, the horse and that boy successfully ploughed a very rocky field, saving the family farm. In 1914, wars declared with Germany. The same year, a heavy downpour ruined the family farm's crops, forcing the family to sell joy to the British army. A captain by the name of James Nichols promised to take care of Joey, and before he leaves, young Albert takes his father's Second World War or Second Boer War pendant, regimental pendant, pendant, and he attaches it to the horse's bridle. Joey bonds with a, a black horse called Topthorn, and both are deployed in Flanders to join the cavalry. As the cavalry charges, Captain Nichols is killed. The whole unit is cut down by machine gun fire, and the horses are seized by the Germans. A young German soldier by the name of Gunther then is assigned to take care of the horses. But when Gunther's brother is ordered to the front line, they desert with the horses. The boys are caught by the German soldiers. They're tried for desertion, and they're executed. Amazingly, the German soldiers do not notice the horses. The horses are found by a young French girl called Emily. She hides them in her bedroom for a time from the Germans. And because it was her birthday then, her grandfather allowed her to ride joy. Sadly, she is stopped by the Germans, and uh, both horses are eventually confiscated. Her grandfather, of course, keeps the regimental pendant that was on the horse's bridle when he got it. The Germans used Joey and Topthorn to pull artillery on the German front line. In 1918, Albert, now old enough to enlist in the war, is fighting alongside his brother Andrew in the Second Battle of the Somme. After a British charge on the German lines in Newman's Land, Albert and Andrew make it to the German trenches, but as they get into the trench, a gas, a gas bomb explodes, killing Andrew. Albert is seriously injured. He is taken to the frontline hospital. There's a problem with his eyesight. 
Meanwhile, a German private by the name of Hegelman feels sorry for the horses and he tries to free them. Topthorn dies from exhaustion. Joey escapes, gallops off into no man's land. Sadly, he's entangled in barbed wire. Danger being run over by a trank. A British soldier by the name of Colin with a white flag tries to flee the horse. He's helped by a German soldier with wire cutters. They toss a coin for the horse and Colin wins, leading the horse back to the British trenches. Albert in the hospital hears about this miraculous horse that's been saved in no man's land. And despite being temporarily blinded, he's able to tell his officers all about the horse. He describes the horse in detail. He asks permission to call the horse. He does so, and the horse comes to him, and the two are reunited. After the war, Joey is put up for auction. Albert tries to buy him, but is outbid by Emily's grandfather. He explains to Albert that Emily has died, and the horse is all that he has left. But he does see how the boy Albert is attached to the horse. He decides then, as the film ends, to give him the horse and the regimental pendant belonging to his father back to him. Albert and Joey return home to the farm to a hero's welcome by father and mother. And that's the story in a nutshell of the war horse. Now, it's not a true story. I thought it was, but it's not. It is based on a novel. But I want to tell you this, that the concept of the war horse is a biblical one. I've never seen the film. If you want to watch it, that's your prerogative. I haven't seen it, but I just want to point out that the concept of the war horse is a biblical one. Because here's Job, and he's a contemporary of Abraham. He lived around the same time. And God is asking Job questions about the war horse. Isn't it interesting that the references to the word horses in the Bible, Genesis 47 and 7, the references in the middle, the book of Job, Genesis, or, or Job 39, and the references at the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, is not about the plough horse, not about the race horse or the show horse, but about the war horse. And that's what we want to think about this evening. And there were three things come to mind as I thought about the story of the war horse and asked myself, well, what lessons can we learn? Could I tell you this? There's a precept about the war horse that I want you to grasp. It says in verse 19, Hast thou given the horse strength? Hast thou clothed his neck with thunder? You see, when we think about the horse, I want you to think about the precept about the horse in the Bible. Because according to Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 15 to 17, Moses told the children of Israel that when they would come into the promised land, whenever they would demand an earthly king to sit on the throne and to govern them like the other nations, that that man was not to multiply horses. Listen to the word of God. When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shall possess it, and shall dwell therein, and shall say, I will set a king over me, like as all the nations that are about me. Thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose, one from among thy brethren, shalt thou set king over thee. 
thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is not thy brother. But listen to verse 16. But he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to the end that he should multiply horses. For as much as the Lord hath said unto you, ye shall henceforth return no more that way. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart turn not away. Neither shall he greatly multiply to himself gold or silver. Now, now think of that. The children of Israel were not to multiply horses. The king on the throne was not to multiply horses. So we're going to ask why tonight. And here's the answer. These were noble animals that were always associated with earthly power or might. God's ancient people were to turn away from such thing and depend and rest solely on the Lord. Think of what the psalmist said, Psalm 20 and 7. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses. That, that means they would depend on the horse for its power and for its strength. The psalmist said, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. And here's a question, a challenge. Who or what are we trusting? And some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. You see, the psalmist in his mind is thinking of the other nations all around them. And their trust in the chariot and the horse when it comes to war. It being a symbol, of course, of power and of might. And, 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 and the psalmist is saying, well, we're not like the other countries. We will remember the name of the Lord our God. In Psalm 33, 17, listen to what the Lord says. A horse is a vain, empty thing for safety. Neither shall he deliver any by his great strength. In Psalm 147, verse 10, we read, He delighteth not in the strength of the horse. He taketh not pleasure in the legs of a man. Why? Because the horse speaks of earthly power. It speaks of strength. And the Lord is saying, Do not put your trust in the horse. And there's a precept about the war horse that's revealed in the Bible. And as this call was issued to the children of Israel in ancient times, so it is still issued in our day. Why? Because this text above me says it all. Salvation is of the Lord. You see, salvation starts with God. It's all of God. It's all of God's grace. The Bible says God has spoken twice. Once God has spoken once, twice have I heard this. That power belongeth unto the Lord. The Lord is saying, don't trust in worldly works. Don't trust in a works righteousness of your own hands. Why? Because the book says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and not, not of yourselves, the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Titus said, It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he has saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. You see, the grace of God has been shed on us abundantly through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's always presented in and through Christ. And, and the Bible tells us that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You see, only Jesus Christ can save the sinner. And he does it on the basis of his finished work. The work is done. And the, work of, the word of Christ is not due. The word of Christ is done. 
Only by Jesus Christ can we be legally justified and made acceptable to God because in him we are accepted in the beloved. And here's a question tonight for many. Who or what are you trusting in? It's not the church that saves. I was asked a question many months ago, which church saves? And the answer is none. It's not the Protestant church. It's certainly not the Roman Catholic church. In fact, it's not any church. Because it's Christ and Christ alone. Acts 4 verse 12 comes to mind. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And oh, that, that many in today's society could see that God's salvation comes to us not by engaging in some sort of ceremony, not by uh, trying to follow a particular rule book or the Ten Commandments, uh, not by some sort of ritual of the church, but, but by turning to and trusting in Christ alone. You've heard of the missionary called Hudson Taylor. His mother was praying for his salvation. He was a young man in his very late teens, 18 to 20. He was in his barn. He was bored out of his skull. He didn't know what he was doing there. He was just walking about, and wasting time. His mother was away for the day, and he found this tract. And you know what it was entitled? It was entitled, It Is Finished. And he started to read it, based on John 19, verse 30. And, and as he read, his eyes were opened. And he began to see, it's not the works of my hands that I can do to be acceptable to God. The work's already done. And all I have to do is trust Christ. And Christ's work is put to my account. His sinless life, his atoning death. And young Hudson Taylor bowed the knee and trusted Christ as Lord and Saviour. What about you tonight in this meeting? What about you who are listening on the internet? You know you're a sinner. You know you've got a soul, a precious soul, and you need to be saved. You know that Jesus Christ is the only saviour of sinners. You know that time is short. We live in a day of sudden death. The old will die, but the young can die. We're only here for a short time. A day a man can be in health and strength today and Tomorrow he can be brought down and left very low. There could be an accident at work. There could be an accident in the car. You could be smitten with a terminal illness. And how many have been taken out of time very, very suddenly. See, the Bible says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for no man knoweth what a day may bring forth. Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. And here's a precept about the horse. Don't multiply horses, for there's no safety in it as far as God is concerned. Don't trust his earthly strength or power. You, you trust in me. It is not the central message of the Bible. Remember what we read there in the book of um, Psalms and, and Psalm 118. There's a tremendous message there in verses uh, 7 and 8. It says this, it's better to trust in the Lord to put confidence in man. It's better to trust in the Lord to put confidence in princes. Trust in the Lord. Have you done that? Is that true of you tonight? Solomon didn't. And multiplication of horses and wives and gold became a snare to Solomon at the end of his life and it's a snare to many today because they've got their sight and earthly power and earthly ability and earthly strength and they'd rather trust themselves or the church or some man or some sort of teaching 
than to put their faith and trust in the Lord alone. But there's a precept about the horse. The second thing I want you to see is a presentation of the war horse. God is asking Job a series of questions. Hast thou given the horse strength? Canst thou clothe his neck with thunder? Canst thou make him afraid as a grasshopper? And as he does so, God begins to paint a picture to Job of a very magnificent animal, and then he presents that to him. The war horse is an animal to be prized, to be honored, to be admired. You see, when you read this description, you're reading about a horse here that's beautiful in appearance, a horse that's very attractive to the eye, a, a, a strong, noble animal. An animal that possesses, in a sense, a, a, a lively intelligence. You see, the horse serves its rider. How does it do that? By service. The horse lives to serve its master. Whoever the master is. The horse is an animal that is serviceable, therefore, to man. So it's a very useful animal. It's a servant of its rider. It can be trained and tamed. It can be controlled by bit and bridle. It can come to the master's call. Think of the war horse. Think of young Albert Irvine and his um, imitating the owl's call and the horse coming in those early days when he's a boy. And, and then whenever he's out in uh, the hospital in no man's land and, and re recovering from his, his, his blindness injury and he, he issues the call and the horse comes. You see, what about the call of God to us? Why has God made the horse? He made it for himself. He made it to be a symbol of power and greatness. And yet he made it for the service of its rider. Let me tell you the story. The story of a young Alexander the Great. Remember, he conquered the world for the Grecian Empire. But one day as a young boy, he was in the presence of the king. I think it was the king of Persia. And there was a beautiful black horse there in, in the um, capital city. And uh, nobody would get near it. It kicked, it pounced, it was wild. Everybody was afraid of it. And the king had ordered it to be put down. So Alexander, he asked to try the horse. And he was given permission. And um, young Albert, of course, he knew a wee bit about horses. And he realized that the reason why the horse was kicking and prancing and going wild that that horse was afraid of its own shadow. So what he did was, on that day, he, he turned the horse around to face the sun. And then he mounted it on its bare back without a saddle. He took hold of the reins and he rode it around. Of course, it kicked and still jumped for a little time. But after a while, it grew tired and came under the control of its rider. And from that very day, Alexander the Great and that horse, that beautiful black stallion, were greatly attached. And that horse faithfully served him in a thousand and one conflicts. Now here's a question that faces us tonight. If we're redeemed, and we belong to Jesus Christ, and he is our Lord and Redeemer, then are we serving him? Here's a question tonight. What are we doing for God? Remember, we live in a day when time is short. And 
Opportunities come and go. In fact, opportunities are passing us. They're, they're fleeing us by. Do you know there's a story in the Bible, in Isaiah 36, a man called Rab Shekai, who was surrounding Jerusalem in a siege situation, issued a challenge to Jerusalem. It wasn't a genuine uh, offer. It wasn't sincere. It was a, a real tease type of offer. This is what he said. I will give you 2,000 horses if you can supply 2,000 riders. Now, of course, he, he was no intention of fulfilling it because Jerusalem hadn't got 2,000 horse riders at that time. And even if they did, what would have 2,000 horse riders in a cavalry charge been against a whole Assyrian army. And of course, God one night destroyed that army. But I was thinking, even though that wasn't a, a real, um, genuine offer, the Lord's challenge is nevertheless real. The Lord's challenge is blessed. The Lord's challenge is fair. The Bible says, serve the Lord with gladness. It was Joshua that said that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let, let me ask, are we serving the Lord faithfully when it comes to worship? The Lord's day attendance, morning and evening. Do, do we deliberately plan to be in the house of God? Because we want to be there out of love to meet with the Lord. What about serving the Lord in, faithfully in the word? We thought this morning of stirring up our pure minds by way of remembrance. Being mindful of the words spoken. The Bible says every word of God is pure. I was thinking when I'm at home. I didn't say this this morning because I had so much to say. 168 hours in the week. If we allow 56 for sleeping and 56 for working. Well, 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 well that leaves another 100 or leaves another 56. And out of those hours that we're not sleeping and working. How do we spend them? Do we spend one hour with the word of God? Can, can, can we give the Lord one hour? He, he said to his disciples, could you not watch one hour? One hour spent on our knees before God with his book, praying, Lord, speak to me. Lord, teach me. What about faithfully waiting on the Lord in prayer? Is that not the only answer for our church to, to see these church pews filled up? We need to go to God in prayer. We believe in the power of prayer. And in prayer, certain areas of failure need to be confessed. And I, I feel as a denomination, we have failed many of our young people. We have lost so many of them and we haven't even stopped to ask why. Now I'm thankful for you young people that are here tonight. We Bless you for coming. We want you to feel loved and wanted and feel at home here. And I feel a burden that we need to, to cater for you. We, we want you to come, but we want to help you. We want to provide for you and your family. And if that involves having youth organizations and youth programs and youth activities, then, then Lord, help us to do that and, and do it in such a way it brings glory to him and yet is faithful to the blood in the book. What about serving him faithfully in witness? Do you ever pray for an opportunity to speak to one soul? What about a family friend? What about a, a dear neighbor? 
What about a stranger? The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Could could you not pray, Lord, lead me to one soul today that you can invite to the house of God because you've got a testimony before them of your life and your lip? You see, the horse serves the rider by service. Could I tell you something else quickly? The horse serves the rider by its strength. See, I'll tell you something about this war horse. It's always ready for war. In ancient conflicts, one of the most impressing sights on earth was the cavalry lined up for the charge of the war. Think of armed riders ready for battle, standards flowing in the breeze, horses bedecked with colors, heads plumed, pawing at the ground impatiently. You see, powerful animals, and they're aware of the atmosphere of the battle. They're aware of the nearness of the enemy. They're aware of sword and shield. But they're ready for war. You see, Proverbs 21, 31 says, The horse is prepared against the day of battle. Who prepared it? And here's the answer. The rider. That was his responsibility. So I'll ask the question. In our Christian life, do we realize that we're in a spiritual battle a spiritual war we can identify the enemy I can identify the enemy in the book of Ephesians we're told here Ephesians chapter 6 and in the verse 12 for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places you see we're in a battle against the devil and all the hordes of darkness. And the devil is out to oppress us and out to distress us. And we have weapons, not carnal weapons. We have spiritual weapons, weapons that are mighty through God to the pulling down of the strongholds of the enemy. Think about the power of the word of God. Think about the power of prayer. Think about the power of a holy life given over and sanctified unto the Lord, where where you as a Christian, you hate sin and you love righteousness. You see, the battle lines are drawn. The enemies are near. And yet we go forth, not in our strength, we go forth in the strength of the king. Because the horse serves the rider by its strength. He carries the rider to the battle. Could I tell you something else? The horse serves the rider by sound. The horse hears the sound of the trumpet. And it obeys that call. Listen to the word of God. The the Bible tells us here. um, He saith among the trumpets, ha ha. And he smelleth the battle afar off, the thunder of the captains and the shouting. See, the war horse can't believe the time has come. That the sound of the trumpet has been given. You see, he's so eager for the battle. He's fearless. He's not easily spooked. He rushes headlong to the fray. He's snorting. He's pawing the ground. He's eager and he's ready to join in. And the sight of him and the rider on his back is designed to send fear into the enemy. As if nothing was ever going to deter him. And if you think of infantry on the ground and a cavalry charge and that trumpet call is given and those horses come thundering down the valley, well, that's enough to send terror into your soul. The rider is served by the horse through the sound of the trumpet. Isn't it interesting that Revelation 19 mentions the war horse? That's the final reference in the Bible. The Lord Jesus is returning. To what sound? 
the sound of the last trumpet. And when he returns, he's going to return on a white horse. And his whole army will be um, sitting on white horses with him. And of course, it's a symbol of ultimate and absolute victory over the devil and the hordes of demons over this world. And Christ in that day will be fully revealed as he is, King of kings and Lord of lords. And he can come and triumph. And, and, and there'll be a shout and we can share in that triumph. Someone has asked, is it appropriate to claim to be a true soldier of Jesus Christ and not be prepared to fight in a spiritual war? See, that's the presentation of the war horse. And we close with this thought. The provision of the war, the, the, the war horse. Why did the Lord point Job to the horse? See, I believe the horse is a great animal. The horse is a gracious animal. He's also a good, useful animal. You see, the horse as an animal is a dim reflection of the greatness and the graciousness and the goodness of God. And God has provided such a strong animal so that that animal could be useful to him whether in the theatre of war, whether in a farming scene, whether hauling and pulling some heavy load. Not all animals are made to serve man, but only some are useful. And the horse is one of them. In the study of the animals, why the horse? He wanted Job to reflect on the greatness and the graciousness, the goodness and the wisdom of God. He's saying to Job, did you give the horse its strength? Job had the answer. No, he didn't. At least in his mind. And then God was saying, well, I am stronger than the horse. I'm greater than the horse. I'm more gracious than the horse. I, 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 have, I have a goodness that the horse doesn't have. See, he uses the animals to be a stepping stone to focus on the Lord. We live in a day when people want to worship the animals. They worship animals, but don't worship their creator who made the very animals. You think of all the animals' rights, people. And I'm not against rights for animals. I believe in animal welfare. But God has given us the animals because the animals are designed to point us to him. The, the, the animals are like a stepping stone to him. Think of the worship of the elephants. Do you know that the elephants is one of the Hindu gods? In India, they worship the cow. In ancient Egypt, they used to worship the jaguar cat and the lion. But the problem with worshiping the animals is that they forget about the creator of the animals. And that's why this is mentioned in the Bible. This is a provision that God has set down for us so that we can be reminded how great he is. We, we sing, oh, how great thou art. How gracious God is. Hasn't he been gracious to you this week? Hasn't he been good to you this week? Have you focused and thought about him? Have you bowed your head in thankfulness and, and, and blessed the Lord who has taken care of you and been good to you? 
Here's another way that reflects the goodness of God. The provision of this animal is a reminder to focus on the Lord himself. Because God is greater than the horse. More gracious and far intimately and everlastingly full of goodness. Do you know him tonight? Is he your Lord and God? Can you be thankful you're his child? Do you know him as your creator and maker? And if he give the horse life and strength, then what's he not given to us? Much more. He's given us a precious soul that needs to be saved. Think of the precept about the horse. Don't multiply horses. Think about this presentation. The horse serves the rider in service and strength and by sound. And we need to serve the Lord in that way. And he's given us this provision to remind us of him as creator and maker. May the Lord take these few thoughts and bless them to you this evening.